You're listening to the Food Freedom Life Podcast. My name is Brittany Allison, and I spent six plus years stuck in diet binge cycles, hating my body, and envying others who seem to have it all because I never felt enough. What I discovered in my journey to food freedom and becoming a registered dietitian is this. You can either live your life at war with your mind or learn to work in sync with it. So if you're ready to learn how to be in tune with yourself and evolve your life, welcome to the show. And before we get into it for today, this episode is brought to you by Food Freedom University, my four-month virtual group coaching program to not only break you out of binge eating, emotional eating, overeating, and poor body image patterns, but to also help you kickstart your journey to food freedom and cultivate a healthful life with balance and ease with food and exercise. If you're feeling alone in your struggles, if you really thrive from hearing from others who are in the same place as you, and you want to form a community around healing and empowering yourself to break free from these patterns for good, group coaching is for you. We get started September 18th or 20th, so perfect time to finish off your summer right and have you feeling supported during the holidays and in a better place with food and body image. Head over to BrittanyAllisonRD.com slash group hyphen coaching or head to the show notes to book a free call with me. Again, that's BrittanyAllisonRD.com slash group hyphen coaching. Long time no see. I know. It's been like, I think it's actually been like an actual year. I think it's been longer than that, actually. Let me look in my Are notes. Are you serious? I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure it's been longer than a year. Yeah, it's August August fifth, twenty twenty one was our last session. Oh my God. <laughs> I gotta be honest. Last two years went by in very weird time. <laughs> yes. You know, oh it's my like, gosh. I don't really know what happened to last year at all. I don't either. <laughs> Where are you right now? I am now in Santa Monica. I decided to. I wanted to keep traveling and I think that a part of me will always keep traveling, but mm. I, I met enough nomadic people who were 10 years down the line from me. And I was like, I'm not very inspired by what they're doing with their life. And I was like, um, I have a friend here and we talk about it a lot because he was also in the nomadic community for a little. And it's like, it's not as cool to see somebody dr- going to a different country every month for like the 16th year in a row because you're just like oh they're like there's like emotional problems there you know what I'm saying (laughs) yeah I got to see like some of the darker undersides and I was like okay cool I love travel but I need a home base and I need to be like you know going forward in my career too so yeah but it's been a minute cool so where are you working these days so I am working for a pediatrics uh well it's called pediatrics but it's a pediatrics and um, I guess like some maternal health, um, healthcare company, but I'm doing data engineering. So I basically went from working with UNICEF and I was in between traveling and going to grad school in Italy or landing and, uh, landing was the better choice. And so I took a job in state or in country, I guess I should say, <laughs> I'm not allowed to work out of country. And I'm just like, it's a very strange restriction, even though like, that's not much of a restriction. You can be anywhere in the country, but yeah, you know how it is where it's like mm-hmm. a, a certain level of freedom. And then you're just like, oh, I have less, but I'm more stable. So it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I like when I was going to sign a lease, I literally had to go off of intuition because I was like, I can't even think past three months, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> And now it's been three months that I've been here, almost, I guess, like three and some change. And it's very strange because that time went by so fast because it's been raining here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, different life. I don't know what's yeah. happening. <laughs> <laughs> Growth, maybe. I don't know. Growth. Yeah. I guess <laughs> different life chapters, right? Like, yeah. they're all important. 
Totally. I'm really excited, actually. Yeah. I've been thinking, I actually talk about my experience with disordered eating oh, like pretty openly. And yeah. I think that it's important to talk about very openly. So I'm I'm like, I'm excited that you thought of me. I thought that was really lovely. So I was like, oh, okay, yes, absolutely. I didn't realize it's been so long. I thought it actually only been a year. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten really good feedback so far from all of my client episodes. People really love hearing from others who have been in their shoes and have kind of, so to speak, made it to the other side. And even if there's still challenges mm -hmm. coming up here and there, that's real. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, what this is all about, it's not never having challenges ever again. It's just having a clear view on how to navigate them. So mm -hmm. I really appreciate you coming on here to share your story. So maybe to get started, why don't you tell everybody listening a little more about you as a person and who you are? What do you like to do? What do you do in your spare time? I think that the best way to describe me is a chaotically ordered free spirit. And so I enjoy having a little bit of chaos and fun mixed in with uh, stability is what I'm now learning. This is my new stage of stability. I am a big traveler. I love traveling. Over the last couple of years, I've been country hopping and going all around and experiencing all these different cultures. And um, I do have food restrictions in terms of being celiac. And so I felt disempowered in the States originally when I was diagnosed, but then from traveling, you kind of learn all of these cultural foods that are naturally gluten-free. And so I got like, I kind of fell in love with food because of that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that I just kind of like to try new things and experiment with my creativity, but then also have uh, a stable job. So I'm a data engineer by day, but then by evening, I like to do like writing and I take all sorts of random classes like improv or sometimes ballet or something like that. Things I'm not necessarily good at, but it's just fun to explore those things. So yeah, I think that's like a good summary of who I am. Based on how much I know you from our work together, I would say that is a very accurate summary of, of <laughs> you for sure. Um, definitely the free spirit. And I love that about you. I think you know, when Emily and I were working together, she was living in Playa del Carmen for most of the time in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And then we were also in Italy. And that's kind of where we closed out our work together. So you have always been all over the place. And I think that that's just so, so cool and gives a really unique experience for you in healing your relationship with food in partnership with the fact that you do yeah. have celiac disease. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually found it was really helpful in terms of like healing my relationship with food because a, sometimes I had food available to me in a certain country that isn't as available in the U S. So it made me more inclined to want to try it or want to like actually enjoy it. And then B, I wasn't surrounded by kind of a skinny culture. Cause I, I live in California. I've been born and raised in California and I live in Southern California and that is a very skinny culture based area. And so it's like, you can definitely get by without su subscribing to that, which is what I'm doing now, but it's, it's very, very heavy on you when you're surrounded by people and you're talking to girls all the time. They're talking about like not eating or they ate too much or whatever. And it's mm -hmm. like, that's just how people speak. And so when you're traveling, people don't really speak like that as much. You're like, Oh, like, let's go try this new taco place that I saw like on the side of the road. That's like 50 pesos for like 20 tacos or something. It's like something ridiculous where you're just like, Oh yeah. Like, I just want to like try that experience versus like restrict myself, you know? 
Yeah. It sounds like it was very refreshing to have a bit of space from that and a different mentality, especially while you were healing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that I wanted to get to a certain point of healing too, before I returned. And so that was why I was a little bit nervous to land, but then I kind of realized I was like, Oh no, like I've gotten really far in my perception and enjoyment of food is just so much inherently different than it was when I first started this journey. So Mm -hmm. where would you say that your issues with food and your body image started? I would say probably in junior high, more so because I was having celiac like symptoms, but not sure what it was. And then Mm -hmm. especially in high school, when it comes to like, like I'm five, seven, but like I grew fast. And so all of a sudden you just like outgrow all your clothes. And it's just like within like a six month period, you can't fit clothes you just bought. And so I think that experience between junior high and high school was the first time that I started getting like more fat phobic of myself. And then, you know, like every time I had a growth, especially during that time before I had a growth spurt, my mom was like, oh, you just got so squishy. And you just like, you know, she was like trying to put me on a diet, but then I grew like five inches. You know, it was just like that balance of like a little fat phobic background mm-hmm. and like, you know, that experience of outgrowing my clothes within six months, like really, I think kind of set me off to like a, oh, I need to worry about this kind of mindset. Right. It almost turned what was a very natural process at the time and already one that can bring a lot of self-consciousness and just kind of turned it into something that was really negative. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was one of those where A, it was like, uh, I think I'm also just a, I have a very high set of expectations for myself. And I think over the years I've gotten to have, I've developed a healthier relationship with that. Like I still have high expectations for myself, but not in that terms of like, uh, like succeed or bust kind of mm-hmm. mentality. Like it's a little bit softer now, but I think back then, especially it became a lot more about control. Cause there were a lot of family dynamics. I couldn't control the school dynamics. I couldn't control. And, um, I also found out later that I have like ADHD. And so I was like smart in school, but like not performing at the level that I knew the material just cause I would misread things or like, I wouldn't be able to pay attention to the whole question. And so there were all these things that I couldn't control. And so food kind of became one of those things that I leaned on during that time as like a coping strategy. Mm. It always does go back to control in a lot of ways when you have all these other areas of your life that you can't, especially when you're a young person and you don't really have a full grasp over Mm -hmm. it. You can't just, you know, change circumstances or what have you. Food is something that in a lot of ways we do have control over. And so it becomes this unhealthy trying to gain control over your life through food. Yeah. And I kind of found it's like whichever mental monster was louder kind of took over like the expression of that eating disorder. Like if the mental dialogue was about, you need to be less, that's when I would just like lose my appetite and I would self-start. Right. And like, that was the loudest. And so that's what happened. And then if it's like, you need to be less, but more that was, or like, you know, chaotic control. That's where like more of like the binge purge came in. And then with the like hopelessness of just being like, you're never going to be good at anything. That was where like the binge kind of came in. And if you can kind of see there was, they all oscillated and they would like take turns, whichever one was louder. But the one I had the hardest time getting out of was the binge eating one, because at the end of the day, it's like, if you have high expectations for yourself, 
but you're not meeting them because of some kind of arbitrary rule that I would have for myself, then I would like, you know, just sink. And so I, yeah, like, I mean, I didn't, I wouldn't say that I actually enjoyed food most of that time, which is very bizarre to think about in retrospect. Like I just like didn't enjoy food. It was like food. I had weird food rules, but like, it's like, I didn't taste food that well. Why do you think that was? I think that it was because I kind of had lost perspective of, I guess, like the, the, like kind of like sensory experience that food can have, right? Like food, when we really think about it is like, it's a way that we like communicate with people. We like make food and we have food together, food, spices, ingredients, things mixed together that represents like culture. And and sometimes it represents like seasons and all of these different things. Like there's so much meaning behind food. And instead of kind of allowing myself to enjoy that experience or even get in touch with that experience, I wouldn't even say it was because I didn't allow myself. I was just so it was almost like a language I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. I was just so focused on surviving. And I think that I gave myself a lot of compassion for that because to be, at the end of the day, my hands were tied in a lot of different ways during that time. And so these coping strategies come out of that, right? They come out of us needing to figure something out. And we're working from like a childlike perspective, especially when most of these start, at least they did for me. And so it was like, the more I spent time healing my inner child, the more I was like, oh, what are the other things I can expose this inner child of mine to? And that was where like travel and food came in where it was like, oh, like, let's try this new Arevo place or something. Or like, let's go to this like obscure little place that's gluten-free, but it makes like something in Portugal that's like, you know, typically not gluten-free, but they have a gluten-free spot for it it started becoming more of like, how can I spoil this inner child with like new experiences and like new tastes versus like, how can I sedate this child and be smaller or be less or control her? You know what I'm saying? Like that was like the big Mm. paradigm shift. Yeah. And for you, I mean, and for most people, it really goes back to inner child work. It really goes back to healing that version of you that was first wounded when it came to not only food and body, but just, you know, that need to be perfect and people pleasing and all of that. And so what did inner child healing really look like for you other than taking her to do new things and try new foods? Inner child healing started very like at the very initial part of it was a, like when we were working together, it really meant that I needed to check in with my inner child essentially and be like, are you okay with the situation or not? Like it's like decoupling people pleasing because there would be situations where consciously as an adult, I would think, oh, like this situation's fine. This person's fine, whatever, like everything's fine here. So like this kind of chaos or fear that I feel inside isn't worth registering. Mm-hmm. But what I found later is like, it doesn't matter externally what's going on. It's internally, what am I feeling in this moment? And as the adult working with my inner child, like what does that look like? Is she scared for X, Y, and Z? Do I know why she's scared? Does it matter why she's scared? No, it doesn't. I can just say, Hey, like I'm going to deviate plans or I'm going to do this. And I started putting more boundaries between like experiences and people and places and things that were triggering to her. And it wasn't necessarily because I was like, everyone's unsafe and I need to protect her. It was more of being like, how do I get in 
tune with what is bothering her before it becomes one of the situations where I like to say it's like the inner child takes over and that's where like the eating disorder would come in or like closet crying or something where it's like the expression of a child trying to control something. And it's like, oh, I'm an adult with all these tools, but I'm not listening to like the whispers of my inner child. And so that's why these extreme reactions come out. And so um, it really kind of just meant decoupling those and just like checking in and allowing the space for her slash me to feel what I feel in a moment without it being wrong and Mm -hmm. just like making boundaries around that and so over time that led to like me being as the adult in the driver's seat much more often it does and I think that's really great advice is just to start tuning in and turn up the volume on those whispers because they're there they're there all the time even if you're not necessarily going through a hard or a triggering situation, right? Your inner child is always in there with you. And I think as we go through our adult life and our adult responsibilities, we don't really listen to that, but there's a lot of really important information we can get from our inner child. Yeah. Like I have like, there's like a swing set that's near me um, at the beach. And I literally like, I go swinging every once in a while. And I actually got like little like gloves to like protect my hands because I would swing and it would hurt my hands. But I was just like, like as I'm buying those gloves on Amazon, I'm like in my head, I'm like, oh, this is kind of silly. But then the other part of me, which is like the inner child is stoked because she just wants to swing and not have her hands hurt afterwards. And so I'm like, well, like, I feel like that's kind of what the balance of living with my inner child has been where it's like, oh, like, where can I have more play? And what does she need? And that also led to me, um, instead of being nomadic and the way that I was like, oh, this is so fun. And I get to explore like my inner child was like, yeah, but we kind of want a pillow. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like a reliable pillow. And so it's like hearing those little whispers helps a lot because it's like, yeah, there's always going to be chaos and there's always going to be something to respond to. But if I'm cool with my inner child, then she's much more trusting of me as an adult to be like, Hey, this is a really stressful situation, but we have the tools to manage the situation. We don't need to catastrophize, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. And so aside from the inner child healing, what what would you say your process was to heal from the binge and the restrict and purge cycle? I think another part that came in for me is realizing that mm-hmm. as women, we have like a 30-day cycle, right? So it's like we have different hunger levels in that cycle. Like that's just very natural. Like our metabolic needs change. And I think that I would have so much criticism for myself for being hungrier this week than I was last week. Like those were part of my rules where I was like, why can't I get this down? Why am I so hungry today? What's going on? And then other times I used to like be so happy with myself if I just wasn't hungry Mm -hmm. in a certain day, because like, that's just how our hormones were. And so now I think what's happened is yeah, like there are definitely times in my cycle that I'm like way hungrier and I eat way more than I do on like other days, but it's not because I'm like emotionally eating and circling in and out of the fridge. It's just because I'm hungry. My stomach's growling. Like it's just the way that it is today. And it's, um, just kind of getting that understanding that like, oh my gosh, I'm a woman. My hormones fluctuate, my hunger fluctuates, and that's totally normal. That was something that helped a lot too, because I even now have days where it's like, I check in with myself. I'm like, oh, you're not really hungry today. Are you hungry? Do you want something? I like provide myself snacks, but I just like, don't need it that day. And then there are other days that I just like have like five meals and I'm like still kind of hungry at bedtime. So it's like, it's just the way that it is as a woman Mm -hmm. and allowing that to be was very helpful, I think. 
Definitely. Getting in tune with your body in terms of your hormones and as a woman, your cycles that fluctuate through every single day and every single week, every single month and how your body responds to that, especially your energy levels, your hunger levels. I mean, I agree with you. I think that that's such an important part of having a better relationship with food is just having that understanding that we're not robots and we're not meant to feel the same and eat the same Mm -hmm. every single day. Yeah. And I think that one of the biggest rewards of going through this has been a, not always criticizing or thinking about the types of foods that I'm eating, but then B like when I eat something that's delicious, I take a bite and it chills and it's just so happy. And it's like, I like to call them food gasms because it's just like (laughs) delicious food. And like, yeah, like I'm not the greatest cook in the world. And so like when I make my own food, I'm like, oh yeah, it's food. It's good. But like when I go to like certain restaurants and it's like that food gasm feel, it's like, I never experienced that any point when I was like struggling with my like love with food or like, Mm -hmm. you know, my, um, my relationship with food essentially. And so like, it's crazy to me that now it makes sense to me why people are foodies, not necessarily that I'm entirely on that scope, but I get it sometimes. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Like, I also never thought that I was going to not love peanut butter as much. Like, I still love peanut butter. I still like it. But like, if I have too much, like my body is just like, there's like a no that comes through. Like, I just like, don't like my, my like taste buds are done with it. And I never expected that because it was just so delicious to me. It was like the only food that was like really delicious to me when I struggled with food, that mm-hmm. and chocolate. And like, I still love those things, but like my body definitely tells me when it's like, oh no, we've had enough. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. I didn't realize that there, this was here. <laughs> I didn't realize that there was a ceiling for this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, peanut butter, that was, that was a really big one. And that was one that. Yeah. I know, I remember you had a hard time keeping in the house at the time. Yeah. Because there was the fear of, well, I'm going to eat the whole thing. I mean, what was the process of getting to a place where you could actually keep it in the house? To be quite honest, it did involve like deciding at the grocery store that I didn't want to buy it. Like, and it wasn't because I was restricting, but like sometimes I would pass by the peanut butter and I would be like, do I really want to eat peanut butter this week? And when I would kind of get that instinct of no, I wouldn't like judge it as being like, oh, I'm restricting myself. I should have it in the house anyways. It was just more of like the awareness where it's like, oh, like this gives me the opportunity to like try other foods and enjoy other foods, especially because I think, um, is peanut butter a big thing in Canada as well? Yeah. Yeah. So like, it's not that big of a thing in other countries, I think Mm -hmm. outside of those two, like finding peanut butter. I think you can find it definitely in Mexico because like there's a lot of like movement there and like Americans and stuff. But finding peanut butter was actually quite difficult in some countries. And it was also quite expensive. Like it would be like seven euros or something and I, or maybe like 12 euros, something like ridiculous. And I was like, I don't need it that bad. <laughs> and so it gave me the opportunity to kind of get used to eating other foods and like other types of fats and stuff. And then when I now, it's like, I still buy peanut butter most of the time, but like, it takes me so long to get through it. And I'm just like, oh, this is so strange. It used to be like a week max. And if I got to a week, I was like very happy with myself. But like, now it's like, I think I've only had, living here, I've only had two peanut butters so far and I still have like half of it in there. So I'm like, this is, it's it's just very strange. That's one that I didn't, I think that one got better for me not focusing on it, if that makes sense. Mm, 
Yeah, almost just taking the power away from it. And it sounds like exactly what you said, not necessarily restricting it, but more so just looking at it from a place of, I have a choice if I want to have this or not. Like the food is not in control of me. I can trust myself and just do I want to have it or not? And sometimes the answer was actually no. Yeah. Yeah. It was really strange actually, but I've kind of realized that that's how I am with a lot of foods. Like I kind of go through like mini food phases, but Mm -hmm. like, it's not because, and I, I think that was something that I thought was disordered or maybe I amplified it to a disordered way before, Mm -hmm. but now I'm just like, Oh no, like I actually do have like certain foods that I prefer and certain foods that I like to cycle in and stuff and that I seek out, even if it's hard to get like an acai bowl very easy to get in like Santa Monica. There's like five different places near me, but when you're trying to get like an acai bowl, like I think Spain was one of the worst places for that, for sure. It was just like, there was one and it was like 45 minutes away walk. And I was like, okay, I have to be really committed to going to this acai bowl. So it's like, there are certain things that I like, but then it's not, I I don't need it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So that was something that is was new because there used to only be certain foods that I would eat and that was it and then when you're in a country that doesn't have access to that or at least readily access because it's like a very northern American thing to eat it's just like it kind of changes your perspective Mm -hmm. or my perspective yeah yeah definitely It, it forces you out of your comfort zone yes yeah and I realize that not everyone is going to approach that kind of healing the same way I think Mm -hmm. that that's just what worked really well with my personality because the less I allow myself to have like creative fun and exploration in my life the more I would I I tend to go inward and self-criticize just because of these high expectations and so that's why you hear me talking about all these different classes that I like to do because it keeps my mind stimulated and my mind likes that and it's like these new things new challenges but if I let, let myself be stagnant, then that's kind of where I self-criticize. But it's just not to the same point it was mm-hmm. when I started this journey. Like now I'm more aware of being like, oh, I'm like not doing things that my mind finds exciting. So it's fixating mm-hmm. on something else. Like, let's do something exciting. Right. It's not about the food. It's about this other thing. But yeah, again, because of the control piece, I'm putting it on food. Yeah. Yeah. I also, um, I think part of this journey, the last bit of it, was the kind of the love and acceptance for my coping strategy. So it's like overeating food or under eating food in a moment isn't necessarily negative. It's not negative. It's just, it's, it's a coping strategy in that moment. And it's like, it worked given the tools that I had, like, I didn't know what tools I had. I didn't know how to use those tools. I did the best I could. And I think that when I took away the self-loathing of being like, how could you have this weird relationship with food? It was more of like, oh, like my younger self found a strategy that works for her and that's great. But now I'm an adult. I have a bigger toolbox. I have all these different resources. So I don't need to rely on that anymore. And it's like, it's kind of like if you eat too many carrots, it's like, it's actually quite toxic for your body. If you eat like tons and tons and tons of carrots, but carrots in themselves are like healthy. Right. So it's like, sometimes it's okay to like have a lot of food, like a Thanksgiving or like sometimes you're going to have a little less sometimes you're going to have a little more right yeah yeah with food Mm -hmm. so how did self-forgiveness play a role in your recovery so I actually have these like this deck of cards that it's called um it's like called love your ego 
And so it's talking about like ego gets a bad rap these days, right? But ego is essentially just our our mind's ability to be like, what do we need to survive? And what are the things we need to do to survive? Like, it's very like, you know, that like kind of like splenic, like let's survive and do things. And like, if something happens as a child and your dad yells at you as a child, you're like, I'm never going to do that again. And that's like a very extreme perspective to hold, but it's like, you know, it's like what worked in that situation. And I think that that was where the self-love kind of came in where it's like, it was the appreciation for my ego essentially to have a coping strategy that made it so I could get through the day and I could do all these other things. And it was appreciation for that because that's what helped me get by. Mm. But the self-love came in of being like, yes, I appreciate this, but I'm going to develop a healthier interaction with my ego so that I don't need to go to a worst case, worst, worst case scenario where I'm just trying to control with food. It's like, now I can step back and be like, okay, these are the things I can't control, but I can control these things. I can control my reaction to it. I can control that. I need space to breathe for a second. That music helps soothe me a little bit. That going on a walk will help soothe. Like I started getting more in touch with like alternative coping mechanisms. And it's, I made those alternative coping mechanisms, a habit, the habit of controlling with food by like overeating or undereating just kind of dissipated over time because these habits were more useful and more effective than those old habits. Yeah. So self-forgiveness, I mean, it sounds like it really just allowed you to bring acceptance into the fact that like the overeating and the undereating, they were helping you get by and they were developed by your inner child to help you get by. But as an mm -hmm. adult, they weren't serving you anymore. So forgiving yourself for when you would overeat, let's say, or when you would binge, that helped you to open up the doors to find new things that would be more supportive. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that something that I found surprising was there, it's not like there haven't been times where I didn't undereat or I didn't overeat in this process, but the reaction of my body to that now is so much different than it was before. Like if mm -hmm. I undereat a little bit and it's like, I was going through the day and it's two o'clock and like, I'm a morning eater. I just am. I'm one of those people that I eat in the morning. And then as the day goes on, I eat less and less. Let's just, mm -hmm. apparently that's my natural cadence. But when I would kind of like, you know, like I would hang out with friends on a Saturday and no one had eaten any food and it's like 2 PM. And I'm just like, my body will just like, just like get to the point where it's like, I'm exhausted. I'm grumpy. Like, it's a very, like my body is like, girl, this is not okay. Yeah. And it's like before it used to be like, a, Oh, it's a competition. How long can I go? And it's like, I no longer, my body and I are in sync enough where it's like, that doesn't even cross my mind. I'm just like, I need to get food immediately or I'm ditching all of you. Like my mm -hmm. needs come first, you know what I'm saying? And, um, another, like, or if I overeat, it's so uncomfortable in my stomach that it's just like, I have to lay down and like, you know, like put a warm compress or a cold compress mm -hmm. on my stomach, whichever one feels better. And I'm like nursing myself. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, body. I'm listening to you. I hear you. And I heard you 15 bites ago where you were like, Hey, can we stop now? We're pretty full. <laughs> and so it's like, you know, now it's like, that also is kind of part of the interaction of healing where it's like, oh, I did overdo it. And yeah, I kind of was in that mental mindset, but I had healed my body enough where my body's like, whoa, hold up. <laughs> like we have been working together and this is not a normal thing. Like what's going mm -hmm. on? 
So I think that helped a lot too. How does that reaction differ from what your old reaction would be? I basically had no reaction, actually. Um, I think my body was just kind of numbed to it. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I couldn't tell you, I could tell you that I was hungry based off of the fact that like, you know, like I felt like weak and like, maybe I felt it a little bit in my stomach, but it was like a dulled thing. Or I could tell you that I had overeaten because I could feel how swollen my stomach was, but I couldn't eat. I, I would like, I was like, but I still feel like eating. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was like my body and I were so out of sync that it didn't even bother sending those signals anymore. And so now I've gotten through the healing process. I mean, that's kind of like what happens. Like you start listening to those cues a lot more and it starts with like, do I want this last bite on the plate? Or it starts with having food next to you if you like hadn't eaten that day, just so you have the option so that your body can tell you if it's hungry or not. And it's just, um, yeah, like the more I healed, the more my body sent me those signals. And so I just didn't have those signals. Like, it's like kind of when, um, I think it's called sensory adaptation. At one point, the body's just going to stop sending the signals because they're yeah. like, obviously, this isn't doing anything. Yeah, she's not listening. She's not picking yeah. up the phone. I'm calling, but there's no answer. <laughs> so I'm just going to give up now. Right. Yeah. It's like I wear rings on my fingers and I barely notice them. But it's like when I get a new ring, I notice it for quite a while until it like adjusts. Right. So it's like your body can do that for your hunger cues. That's actually a really great analogy. I like that way of thinking oh, about it. Yeah, because that makes a lot of sense, right? It's true. When you get a new ring, you bend your finger and you feel it and you're like, oh, that's kind of weird. And, you know, then after a while, your brain just tunes it out and you don't even acknowledge that it's there anymore. And the same happens for your hunger signals and your fullness signals too. When you ignore them, your brain just says, okay, well, we don't need to do that anymore. Yeah. Like if you lose the ring after it had adapted, you'll notice at some point, but it's like, you have no idea when that ring was lost right because it, it just is not on your finger anymore you're like oh okay I didn't but it's like I feel like that's kind of how my experience was with food but the other side of that too was like I didn't get that pleasure reception from yeah. eating food which are like is what I talk about now with those food gasms like I didn't know that people experienced that I had genuinely no idea so it's like even with the first bite I have to like pause and take a break to enjoy this food because it's so good And that was just such a um, foreign concept to me. Like the first time it happened to me, I was like, am I okay? Is it just because this food's extra good? And then as it started happening more often, I was like, holy shit, this actually, like this actually is food. This food tastes so good. Like, is this what I've been missing this whole time? And you were, you were. Yeah. Your body got to a place where it trusted you enough to give you Mm -hmm. those signals again. It trusted that you would honor them as opposed to ignore them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, another thing that I think is um, something to keep in mind is um, I don't weigh myself, but my body size Mm -hmm. is like easily maintained now. Like I don't like my clothes all fit because my body's not like overly thin and like looking scary skeleton-y and it's not swollen from like eating all this food all the time like I felt like I always had a swell on me when I would go through like eating too much or like the binge and purge and my, so my clothes fit better. And I was, I def, definitely did not expect that. Like, this is a non-issue. I don't have to like obsess over this because I'm just in tune with my body. Yeah. And it's like, it's not like perfect, but I was like, that was, I, I thought that was very surprising. 
it's amazing that our bodies really do know where they want to be. I say we don't have to do all these crazy things to try and control them. <laughs> they just, they just know. They just know. None of it worked. <laughs> no. None of it worked. I'm so much more comfortable in my body now, not worrying about eating things. And it's like, I, if I like, sometimes every once in a while, I'll look and I'll like, it'll cross my mind. I'll be like, wow, I've been eating a lot of calories today. And then another part of my mind will come in now that I've like healed and be like, what does that matter? (laughs) This is like a very arbitrarily calculated calorie thing. Like this Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with your body whatsoever. And I like, yeah, like there are definitely times in the month that I eat like a lot of nuts and like a lot of like carbs and cheese and all these things that I was like, oh my gosh, I ate all these things. Now I have to restrict the next day. And like, Mm -hmm. it will be like a week or two. And then I'll, I'll still feel great because I'm just like, oh, I guess I needed that. And then yeah. my body will be like, oh, I need all these other things. And like, it'll switch. And I'm like, oh, I'm not like labeling this as like good or bad. It's just the way that my body is today. Mm-hmm. And you go through that natural ebb and flow with everything where certain times yeah. you want certain things and other times you want different things. And when you don't try to mess around with it too much, it just, it's easy. Yeah. yeah. Like I restricting carbs to me is so interesting for me to think about in retrospect because mm-hmm. there are genuinely times of the month like monthly this is like a cyclical thing it always happens where i just eat far more carbs like it's almost like it's like a it would remind me of carb loading but not necessarily because it was like one meal it would just be like oh like i just feel like having quesadillas for the next couple of days and like i'm eating other things too like it's not like a fixation on one food but I'm just like, oh, I guess I like needed more carbs or like if I'm not eating enough carbs, my body will just be like carbs, carbs, carbs. And I'll mm-hmm. be like, oh, I need to go to the store and like get chocolate muffins or like something. It's like um, I like make a lot of different like stir fries and all these things. It's like, um, I don't know. It's I don't think about it, but I, every once in a while I think about how I used to restrict that. And I'm like, how would I have any idea how much carbs I needed? before like you know what I'm saying like my my body just like like there's no way I could have known if I was restricting like how what arbitrary thing was I going off of some silly thing that diet culture taught you and something that you read once and something that someone else said and just this amalgamation of all this noise that lives in your brain rent-free and dictates (laughs) what you eat and what you choose and how much and ultimately does you a disservice and leads to binging Yeah. And it's so funny that you said like lives in your head rent free. It really was like a lot of what is living in my head rent free. And like, do I need to evict this? (laughs) You know? Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. so what, what lives in your head rent free now that you have that mental and physical space back? So I have been, I've been working on learning languages for a long time. I've just accepted that I'm a little slow when it comes to learning languages, but I'm like constantly like, practicing my Spanish and Portuguese. And then I'm also, um, yeah, like, I mean, like signing up for like these things, like I just like decided to sign up for ballet and I'm finishing up an improv class, but it's like, I'm like, I'm now thinking about like, Oh, like, what are the things that I could do? Like my evenings open. So like, what's something I can sign up for? Like what's something I can do? Like, it's no longer like, Oh, I need to like recoil and stay inside because I ate so terribly this morning. It's like, I naturally just do eat a lot in the morning. And now I just allow myself to do that because I'm just like, that's just what my body does. I don't even think about it anymore. And then I don't have to feel like I have to hide 
the rest mm-hmm. of the day. And so I think that that's probably, I don't really think any one thing lives in my head rent free anymore. I think it's like a lot of like cyclical things. And it's like, sometimes it comes with ambition where it's like, what are the things I want to do to kind of, or where am I wanting to go with my career or what kind of side skills could I learn to kind of like augment that? And so like, it gets a lot more into, I have all this brain space. What do I want to do with it? Instead of like fixating on food, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not that you didn't have ambitions or goals before, but it sounds like you have a lot more room to just enjoy life and focus on those things and work towards them more. Right. Like the ambition part in the food used to be entangled because I would be like, oh my gosh, I have to get this done. And I had these arbitrary kind of finishing kind of like criteria for myself for getting things done and on really tight deadlines. And then I would like eat during that to like process the like stress, the stress that I was dealing with, if that makes sense. Like, and I was like, oh, okay, like I can do this. And what it got, what helped a lot with the ambition part my quality of work was always the best when I was like at a clear head and I am just naturally going to have high standards for myself. But if I'm in like a super, super tech environment, which is like, you know, a lot of startup cultures, they're very much like finish if like the due date's on Friday, but we want you to finish on Wednesday. And if you finish on Wednesday, they have 12 other projects for you. So it's like constantly go, go, go. And I realized that that was not a healthy environment for me to be in because that's naturally not who I am. And that's why I would have to go to the food as I compensate because I wasn't actually listening to my natural flow and how I actually worked. And so that's where this healing helped a lot where I was like, Oh, like what is actually the root cause? The root cause is I'm not, I'm signing up for projects that actually don't work with who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. And I'm never going to be successful as myself in that situation. And so that's why I felt like I was going to, I needed to augment with the food. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, that's, it helps a lot with the ambition of being like, oh, I can actually allow myself to be good at something and work at a pace that works for me and everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And so it's just as you learned more about yourself and more about your relationship with food, you were able to have both of those things work synergistically as opposed to just working against each other. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great summary. It was like working with the synergy of myself and figuring mm-hmm. out what that was and respecting what that was. Yeah, I mean, that's what this work is with food in your body is just working synergistically with both of them as opposed to trying to constantly fit them into a box and make them yeah. be something that they're not supposed to mm-hmm. be. Yeah, we're not meant to fit in boxes. Even mm-hmm. if we fit in a box for a moment, That doesn't mean we're going to fit in a box like 30 seconds later. (laughs) Like, it's just like, we don't, we don't need boxes and most of them are self-imposed. And if they're imposed by people around us, then those people aren't our people. Mm -hmm. Well said. Mm -hmm. And so what's one piece of advice that maybe you would tell somebody who's struggling with body image or their relationship with food right now? Allow yourself to embrace a little bit of creativity in that Mm -hmm. moment when you're feeling so self-critical and it's hard to look in the mirror for whatever reason, understand that our eyes and our brain is really, really lovely. It's because it will move, it'll fix our perception to match our thoughts, right? And Mm -hmm. so that in a way can be so powerful, but in the case of when you're struggling, that's when it's your worst, like that's your detriment, right? Like you're looking in the mirror and you're going to find exactly what you are thinking and looking for because your brain is trying to help you 
right? And so what I found is in those moments, kind of like not, not focusing on the image part. Like, don't worry about looking in the mirror. I know that that's really hard. Like we're, we're a very mirror centered culture, regardless of what country we're in. Like it just, that's like modern times now. It's a little bit more of like, okay, where can you allow just creativity to come in? If, does that mean like drawing with crayons or like painting and just like release complete attachment to what it looks like or what it is and just like paint it out because it's those new pathways in your brain that allow just like unhinged expression <laughs> that allows you to heal because that's essentially what your inner child is wanting and that's what it's trying to facilitate with this control around food and body image is like it just wants to be accepted for who he or she is and or they you know like insert pronoun for your inner child but like uh, that inner child just wants to be accepted as is and so like the creation of just allowing yourself to get like expressive with art or something like singing dancing whatever and releasing attachment to how it looks Mm -hmm. um, that helped a lot I think that that's something I still struggle with but I think that at the end of the day that was the biggest strides in healing that I made was when I just like allowed my inner child to be creative let yourself break out of that box that you put yourself in that's what it is right that creativity letting it be messy letting it you know not look the way that you think it's going to look just doing it because it's fun and helping you discover yourself that's such a big part of food in your body even though it is not maybe directly related on on the surface on paper I love it well thank you so much for being on the show and taking the time to chat with me today I'm sure everybody listening got a lot of value from what you talked about and yeah I mean it's really beautiful to see how far you've come and I know it's been a while but you're doing awesome really proud of you thank you I know thank you for being on this journey with me and it's quite validating to kind of revisit it Mm -hmm. um a good bit later and be like oh wow okay like I really did go through that and I really did accomplish that like sometimes it's easy to forget what we've overcome because we're constantly looking forward you know so it's good to look back once in a while you might just be proud of yourself I know (laughs) You actually might be so shocked with yourself and be like, oh, wait, <laughs> I forgot how like, like it felt like a, I was in a pit with no hooks. And then it's like I had to build those hooks myself and I've been miles down the road from that pit. And I'm just like, oh, I forgot I was in a pit before. <laughs> totally. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And now look at me standing at the top of that pit <laughs> looking down. <laughs> yeah realizing that it's not really a pit anymore because I've filled it with like all of these things so that flowers can grow on top you know beautiful way of putting that well thank you so much Emily and for everybody listening we will see you next week